Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Guest is Gail Massey. Gail Massey's father died when she was seven years old. In the 60s, they didn't talk about cancer and grief. In 1991, she was inspired to write a booklet that reflected what she knew about grief. She simply called it Grief. There are over half a million copies in print. Welcome to the show, Gail and Gloria. Thanks, Heidi. Well, Gail, thank you uh, for being on the show. It's great to have you on the show. Uh, We know some, some information about you. Your dad died when you were seven, right? Yeah, that's correct. It was 1964. And what did he die of? He died of cancer, so it was kind of a, a, a slow, uh, drawn-out procedure, and it was, it was very difficult to watch as a, a child. Yeah. Did you have uh, brothers and sisters? I do. I have uh, three sisters and a brother, and they're you know tremendously helpful. Now, where did you fit in in the family? Well, I'm the youngest. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you had your older siblings there. Yeah. And so you were only seven, and you're watching your father die. Now, I would think, as a seven-year-old, that would be incredibly scary. It was very scary, and, and that was something that I had to work through later on, was um, my fear of, of his, um, his illness. Mm-hmm. So uh, how did your mother deal with it? I was, I was just curious, because um, we know that one of the, one of the aspects now of, of how children deal with grief is how the family handles it. Well, I think, um, you know, back then things were, at least in my family, things weren't dealt with very openly. So her mm-hmm. grief was pretty overwhelming for her, and, and so it was pushed, pushed into the corners or under the rug. Um, and I think it's really amazing how far we've come now where kids are allowed to express their emotions and hang on to their memories of their parents or their grandparents or whoever it is that's passed. And how many years has that been for you since your dad died? Oh, it's been 45 years. Right. But it's so, the centerpiece of my life. Right? Yeah. It's the, did you say it was the centerpiece of your life? Yes. Yeah. yeah, talk about that for, for people who've had these losses. Because I think one of the things really interesting about the, the loss of your dad, and and then um, we'll, we'll talk about why you wrote this book, because I think it's interesting you had another loss totally different that triggered it, right? Well, that's correct, yeah. Yeah, talk about that a little bit. Say again? You lost your cat, right? I did. I lost my cat. Um, but I was already um, very interested in, in grief and studying grief in college and, and psychology. Uh-huh. And so you were drawn to that? I was drawn to that because, um, I, you know, I was trying to understand it from a personal standpoint. Uh-huh. And, and what did what how talk about the process when you've had that loss of a dad that long ago and 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 how did it impact you like Father's Day and and how how does do you see it impacting people? Well, that's um you know to me the, an image of of what it is to have a father and what it is not to have a father is sort of like standing on a beach in the bright sunlight um, is not having a father and standing under a, an oak tree with a cascade of green leaves above you, that's sort of having a father, having that sheltering experience. 
Now that's interesting because I think one that's one of the things I think is um, we think about mothers as all mothers are giving, all fathers are protective, and if you even had a dad, it wasn't the true. You know, it's not totally true, is it? Well, no, it's not totally true. Um, but can we idealize that maybe a bit more if we lost a dad? That what it would have been like. Yeah, I think um, at, when you do as a dad at such a young age, you you turn to maybe mythology about what a dad is. Mm-hmm. And so and so it becomes even more. Mm-hmm. Well, I was wondering, and talk a little bit about your book and, and writing it. It's, it's such a, it's such an interesting, well, I, would we call it a book or kind of a little pamphlet, but it, it's just a nugget of fantastic ideas and, and little thoughts. What do, how do you think of it? Well, uh, to me, what I needed when my, uh, my cat passed away, you know, just suddenly and out of the blue, and it blindsided me, and what I thought I needed, really, was to have something that I could keep in my purse or in my pocket to walk through the day with that had pieces of information in it that sort of reconnected me to um, to be grounded again in my experience of grief because I was so overwhelmed. And I thought about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's perspective of grief, and I tried to take her thoughts and put them into prose that were calming and gentle, but reassuring and educational at the same time, something mm-hmm. that I could take around with me through the day. And that, that is why it's so small and, uh, and succinct. Is it, it's yeah. wonder, who did the illustrations? Oh, those are mine. Oh, wonderful. They're, they're, so, they're so simple and sweet, a little candle and an hourglass. And yeah. So you're an artist also. Hmm? A bit. A bit of one, yes. Now, are you a grief therapist? I'm not a grief therapist. I, I sell my grief books to anyone who has an interest in them, but mainly to hospices. Uh-huh. And, and, and what do you, is that made mainly what you do? Do you have another job or is that? It's mainly what I do. I also, I, I paint. Uh-huh. I, uh, I'm a consultant for the college at St. Petersburg. Oh, you're what? I'm a consultant at the, oh. at St. Petersburg College. At St. Petersburg College, great. One of the one of the things I love about this book is something you said something in here that I love. I love this book because, like you said, read, you, read a you couple of the things. Area in your the pages, Heidi. Yes, the, and I find a couple of them, but I love this one. Denying sadness denies healing. By letting your heart break, you let your heart heal. I love yeah. that idea. Yeah, that's, so, that's go ahead. So wonderful, and uh, it's so true. And you also have something on your lo- well, website that I love, and you say. I believe healing happens not in isolation, but in the presence of human compassion. They're just beautiful sayings that really capture, I think, the grief and healing experience. Well, I think that's uh, another reason why I say that my father's death was the centerpiece of my life. Um, if I hadn't written this book and I hadn't given it away and, and continued to print it and distribute it, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to meet and make contact with so many people across mm-hmm. the, the country and what the response from them has has given me um, the opportunity to feel connected that my grief is, is not different from everyone else's. Um, it might be a different shade of gray, but, um, but we all have basically the, a, a similar experience. Now, do you think uh, <clears throat> that it's different when you've lost a, a family member early, and and what would you see as being different? Um, well, I think it's um, I think that um, 
for me, it, it's always um, a possibility. I think sometimes when you don't encounter grief very early on, it, uh, it doesn't really seem like it's going to enter your world until it comes crashing in. Um, for me, I've, I'm pretty much all aware of um, the fragility of, of human life, and so maybe that's a difference. That, that's interesting because I did call, you know, we were talking about the name of the show, and, and we did call Father Loss Reminders of Being Mortal because I think that is generally loss of a parent um, for many people is the first reminder that they are mortal. And, yeah. and you got that very early. Right, yeah. It's, it takes away that, that uh, shield between you and mortality. Yeah, I was wondering, Heidi, with your father-in-law dying, and your father's alive, and my my husband, and uh, with your father-in-law, what did you see? What have you seen with uh, your husband's family? Well, my father-in-law died eight years ago of cancer, and my husband was an adult. And I think with the morality, the mortal piece is that when my father-in-law died, my husband said, "I'm next in line," because yeah. you know his father-in-law died when he was seventy in his seventies. Um, it's been very, very hard for my husband um, because I think for many of us, no matter what kind of father you had, our fathers are larger than life. Our fathers are someone that we feel like we can always go to, like you said, for protection. Um, my husband said that um, he always did everything in his life to make his father proud, and he couldn't wait to tell his dad he wanted to make him proud. And when his father died, he said, now I don't have anyone to make proud anymore. So it was really devastating, and he had to really kind of think, okay, who am I without my father? My father was such a big person in my life. Um, and he talks about his father a lot to my children and keeps the memories alive. So that's been, that's been really nice. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when we come back from break, we're going to go to break in a few minutes, and I want to talk a little bit with you, Gail, about how your, your father's been kept alive in your life and, and what the meaning of that is and, and how other people can do that. Um, I, there's a certain, when my father died, um, a couple of years after my son died, there is a certain kind of male energy that, that I really missed and, and that certain feeling and those certain hugs as a female. And uh, there are certain, I think uh, Heidi was talking about it, this is what brought it up for me because her husband Marcus uh, went to his father for his father to be proud of him. And I know Eric Toma, who we were going to have on later, uh, went to his father for the same kind of thing. So I'm thinking maybe males go to their fathers for um, the male thing of you're doing okay, the more macho thing, and maybe the female goes to father for more the oak tree, the perfection. Gail, tell us how people can get a hold of your book. Um, they can go to my website. It's called uh, www.grief dash reminders for healing dot com and they can um, they can order a copy right there. That's great. And it's just such a sweet little book. It's two ninety five and it's just something that you give somebody to put in their purse and um how do you want to read another one of the things you like out of it? Oh, um there's so much. Let me think. Okay mom, you put me on the spot here. Let's see. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, this is this is a good one. You may hear their sounds and see them in the shadows. You will forget they are gone and then remember again, and your heart will, will break one more time. Uh, yeah, just these wonderful little nuggets. Well, when we went to break, I said that we would talk a little bit about keeping dads, you know, how people keep their dads in memory. Heidi was saying that her husband, uh, Marcus, 
tells uh, our, my grandson Alexander a lot about his dad, and that's certainly the verbal is one of the ways that we keep dads alive. Gail, how did how did people keep your dad alive in the family? Well, I think um, uh, stories um, stories about my father's um, favorite hobbies and his role in the church and and um, knowing his friends. I think also was really important. Knowing mm-hmm. people who knew him, um, men. <clears throat> Excuse me. Who you know? Who knew him and respected him and, and um, loved him. And that's great. So people brought up his name. Neil, have you got any thoughts about that for Father Les about how how people do remember that you've seen and what you would suggest? Yeah, I, I remember many of the men I spoke with for the book. Um, yeah, tell us about them. what you did with your book. Talk about your book a little bit and then tell us. Oh, sure, you. sure. Um, Father Les is based on interviews with about. 60 or 70 men uh, in depth, and then we did a national survey as well of men who had lost their fathers. Uh, and those are men who were as old as, you know, 60 or 70 years old. Uh, I think the oldest was in his early 70s, and then the youngest being uh, just about at birth, and many who had lost their fathers in childhood and then spoke with me about it years later. Um, I think one, one of the things that just struck me when you said, well, how do you keep them alive? Um, one of the men I spoke with, had never done a garden of any kind at his own home, but his father was a big-time gardener, and after his father's death, he just felt compelled to go and gather up all of his father's, uh, you know, hoes and, and, and uh, you know, seed spreaders and, and, and start his own garden. And when I spoke with him, I actually visited his home, he was like the guy in the neighborhood who everybody thought of as their as the guy who knew everything about gardening. Um, it had been about six or seven years, and each year he would really work this garden and, and make it bigger and make it more beautiful. And every time spring rolled around, he would pull out his father's gardening tools and reconnect uh, in that way with his father's memory. Um, so for him, it was like a little bit of grief every time, and that sort of dance between the pain that's there, but the smile that also, or the joy that comes in reconnecting with him. It reminds Um, me of the guy that I played golf with who had his son's golf clubs in his bag and had his golf hat, would would reconnect when he went out. Well, Gail, does that bring up anything for you? Any thoughts about things that you might have done or your brother? Or You know, I kind of think there's a, a difference. I don't know, Heidi, you know, we kind of find that men do things like gardening and working, you know. Mm hmm yeah, it does bring something up for me. I, I, the, the project of putting together the booklet was really healing for me because it gave me something to do. And I think hanging on to your, your father's gardening tools and, and going out and doing something physical with your body um, is similar to that. It, it's a project to, to do something in their memory. And this also gives you an opportunity to talk about your dad, too. I mean, and honor him when you pass, when you sell this book and talk to hospices and all the things that you do. Yeah, and it, it gives, I think doing, writing the book um, is, is also an opportunity to sort of take something that was really pretty awful that happened in my life that, that make it, um, turn it into a contribution to, for other people to benefit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's one of the many things I hear with the, the new writers who are always coming to, uh, to Open the Hope website and they're saying, I, I want to write. For you, and 
you know, I'll get in a conversation usually by email with them about it, and they'll say, you know, I remember my father, my mother, my son or daughter, and I want, and, and this helps me to share it with others to see if I can help others through what I've been through. So there's a way of sort of honoring the person who has died by helping others who are in the same kinds of situation and probably exactly. goes for any kind of loss. Um, exactly. And that, you know, that I think losing a father in childhood is, uh, you know, a tremendously devastating loss um, for both boys and girls. And the, the, the ones that, the, the boys that I spoke with, uh, who later I spoke with them when they were men, they just really talked about how, this guy was this pillar in their life. You know, he was the foundation. He was the one that sort of held things up. And uh, especially with a sudden death, it was it was devastating because they thought of him as invincible. You know, as, as Heidi was saying earlier, larger than life. Mm-hmm. And to have him, you know, disappear uh, it was sort of mind-boggling for them and um, and destabilized uh, in so many ways. So it's a very difficult thing to go through, and I think what Gail is showing is that you can make it through, but probably you have to be conscious about it. You can't just sort of go through your life not ever facing it in any way. You know, does that ring ring true for you, Gail, what uh, you're saying? Yeah, absolutely it does, and I I think also um, just when you do express yourself, you, you... Give yourself an opportunity to connect with other people, and and that is what what I said earlier, or what you read on my website. And I really believe that that's where healing occurs. It's within the context of human compassion. So, is it that what you recommend to people um, as far as the healing and hope goes? Is to reach out, or what? What is your thought about that? And how do you think it starts? Well, I think in the very beginning, you have to be really selective about. Um, about reaching out, I think you really need a, a piece of time, you know, where you can just be with your your wound. But um, I do I do think that reaching out and expressing your your feeling gives you so much of an opportunity to to be reconnected to to this world. Now, for people who have lost uh, fathers when they were very, you know, when they were young, you had to go through, um, you know, all those developmental stages. I mean, there's a lot of when you're an adult and you lose a parent, you know you're at those. You you don't have to go through. You have to go through the sadness and the loss. But wow, when you're a kid, you got to go to school and you got to go through that developmental stuff. Do you have any thoughts on that, Gail? Well, I, you know, I think it's been um, uh, suggested by studies that kids who lose parents are more um, uh, prone to fall into to problems, and, and it was certainly the case for me. I, I didn't go through it all. Very gracefully, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that. Um, so I think kids who do lose a parent, I think it's really helpful if there are, are other adults that will step in and, and be a part of their lives. Yeah, in fact, to, to add to what Gail's saying is, you know, I've been working with the fire department families for seven years, and everybody I work with has lost a father in the Trade Center. And mm-hmm. what they've done, what the fire department did is hook these kids up with big brothers, big brothers that were, in the, that were other firemen, that they'd have male figures in their lives. But there is so much loss because what these kids say, and Gail can speak to this better than anybody, here they go to school and they're, they're different. They're the ones that don't have a dad. Everybody else in the class has a dad. 
and they're, they're making Father's Day cards, and they're talking about their dads, et cetera, and these kids don't have that. And it's just really, really hard. It's a constant reminder. Yeah, it might be um, nice if there was someone who could think of a creative way to celebrate Father's Day uh, mm-hmm. for kids who don't have a father. I, li- I like that idea. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting thought. Do you have any thoughts on that, Neil, or what did you find out from your study as far as, you know, people getting through this who've lost a... Well, yeah, just to piggyback on the Father's Day thing, I, I, I was aware in talking with the men that Father's Day for many of them was not a happy occasion. You know, as you're saying, even when they were adults, you know, um, if they didn't have kids of their own where it starts to turn around, but, you know, everyone else would be sending cards or thinking about their fathers or calling their fathers or complaining that they had to call their fathers. And then the, uh, you know, the this, the man without the father would be like, I wish I you know, had a father I could call, or I wish I... Uh, and so I think the culture itself will sometimes celebrate things without the awareness. Same thing, of course, on Mother's Day. Um, holiday season, we're always talking about the, the happy parts of it, but we don't sometimes think about the loss side of it. Some of the men I did speak with said they did do things for themselves during that time. So on Father's Day, they would pull out his records or, you know, albums from his, you know, childhood and, and play that, or he'd pull out his father's guitar and play that, do something that would connect him just with the memory. And I, I do, I think that's a great idea to, um, you know, if you're coming on a holiday time where everyone else is, is being happy about the connection that they currently have, it's a good time to um, connect anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's... Uh, you know, something else you were talking about that I, I think really make, made a lot of sense to me was the difference between the way girls and boys or males and females view their fathers um, and what the loss then means. Um, for a son, that father is the person who validates them as a male, who says, you are, you know, growing positively, we're proud of you, I'm proud of you, um, you are going to be a man someday, and then eventually, when he's in his you know late teens or early twenties or later, the father says, "Now you are a man," and it's that welcoming that you don't get if your father has died in childhood or early adulthood. And so many men I spoke with who had that kind of loss would say in their thirties or forties that I'm still waiting for. I still don't know if I'm a man because I haven't had that. My dad tell me. I'm a man. I still feel like I'm the son of a man. Um, so it's really interesting, and I would have guessed that with women, it would be different than they're not looking for the, I'm now a woman, but something else. Maybe it's For the protection. And, yeah. and also I think they're looking for the way that you relate with men. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know, and the way that you have a relationship with a man. Right. I mean, it's kind of like... There's something first... very important about, uh, and I've seen this in, in studies of fatherhood generally, uh, about how fathers help their daughters um, become women, and mm-hmm. part of that is, you know, just affirming her throughout her adolescence and early adulthood, affirming her as a young, beautiful, intelligent, um, you know, dynamic woman, and if you, if you get that from your father, it seems that there's a greater chance for you to feel, you know, very deeply that way. Whereas if you don't have a father to give that to you or you don't have a father who does give that to you, it can really hold you back. 
now now I'm feeling really like I'd be really mad if I <laughs> if I'm listening and I'm thinking I'm really mad that I didn't get all this. But let's remember one thing: that's the idealized father. And and there are some of us, some of our audience out there who are saying, "Yeah, my dad's still alive, and I'm not getting that." So you know, um, there is that idealized part too. And I wanted to say, visit Gail Massey's site, get her wonderful little book. Uh, you you want to give us your site again, Gail? Yes, it's uh, www.grief-remindersforhealing.com. And Neil Chethek, you want to give us the name of your book and your website? Yes, my book is Father Loss, uh, How Men Deal with the Deaths of Their Fathers, How Sons Deal with the Deaths of Their Fathers, and uh, you can find my site, uh, fatherloss.com. Well, when we went to break, we were talking about, I just mentioned ambivalent relationships, and uh, let's do a, a quick thought on that. Neil, do you have any thought about ambivalent relationships where you really, your father died, but you didn't get along with him that well? That's a really tight connection, isn't it? Yeah, that's a that's a, always the most difficult. In fact, it was obvious by the research that I did that the people, the men who had the biggest trouble dealing with the death of their father over the long term were men who did not have a good relationship with their father because it was the, there was regrets involved and those were hard to to deal with once the father was gone. But what I what I suggested what many of the men did uh, that was helpful was to Continue to work that relationship. Continue to have your father present. Don't just ignore the fact that the fact that he's died means that you can't do anything. That's not true. You can continue to communicate with him through your own writing, through therapy, through um, uh, connecting with his, you know, people who knew him. Gail mentioned that friends of his. So you get a more well-rounded vision of who this man was. That's one of the things, as you were saying, we idealize and we expect a father to be something, you know, perfect, and none of our fathers are like that, and some of them are very, very far from that. Um, so we have to learn to accept the humanity of our fathers, and I think that's what generally brings us to a, a resolution with his memory. Right. Gail, do you have any uh, thoughts before we end about uh, for people in dealing with the loss of their dads when they've had an early loss particularly? Well, I... I... I do think, uh, as I said before, connecting with uh, people who knew him, and, and I also like what uh, Neil just mentioned there, the idea of, of journaling. I, I did lots of that as a younger person, journaling and writing letters to my father, and I think that that was tremendously helpful in helping me remember who he was. That's great. Well, thank you for being on the show, and we're going to go out with us, um, some music that Gail um, gave us. Uh, could you tell us where this music come from? This is an original piano composition by Andrea Henning here in St. Petersburg, Florida. She, uh, she wrote this song as she was grieving a loss, personal loss, and the, the title is Full of Grace.
You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.